Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street. I'm Scotty Greenwood, together with Chris Sands. And we are real. Hey, Chris. <laughs> we are really <laughs> excited um, and honored to have uh, Congressman Brian Higgins. Uh, from upstate New York. He has been probably the leading voice um, for reopening in a safe way the Canada-US border. So uh, before I before we ask Congressman questions and, and hear from him, Chris, why don't I turn it over to you to introduce him properly? Oh, sure. Well, he almost needs no introduction. He's been a leader on the Canada-US border uh, for so long. One of the most prominent, I think our listeners will know him well. But to be formal, uh, Brian Higgins is a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, serving New York's 26th Congressional District, which includes portions of Erie and Niagara County. Um, in the 116th Congress, uh, Mr. Higgins serves on the House Committee on Ways and Means and on the Subcommittee on Health, Trade, and Social Security. In addition, he's a member of the House Committee on the Budget. He is chair of the Canada-U.S. Interparliamentary Group and the co-chair of the Northern Border Caucus, from which positions he advocates for federal policies that recognize the unique needs of northern border communities, efforts which serve to strengthen the economic and security ties with our Canadian neighbors. Um, I also note, and I say this only because um, I'm still not a recovering academic, I'm still trying to be academic, um, he actually has taught at uh, SUNY Buffalo State College, uh, and he taught a course which I'd love to take. Um, it was on the economic history of Buffalo and Western New York, which he, uh, he he designed the course himself, he delivered it. I hear it's very popular. Congressman, it's wonderful to have you. I am pleased to be with you, finally. We're, ha we're we're so ha no we're so happy to have you. Notwithstanding the technical difficulties, we're we're thrilled um, to be together and to have you on the pod, Congressman. As today as we record this, the Canada has finally uh, we're one day into it reopening um, its border to fully vaccinated Americans, but the U.S. hasn't uh, hasn't opened its border and unclear whether it will. So I wonder if you could just. Share with us your thoughts about um, why that is and what you think needs to be done about it. Well, uh, there's no rational uh, explanation for it, and none has been forthcoming by the Biden administration, which is terribly frustrating for people on both sides of the border. And, uh, you know, all of us have been admonished for the past 17 months to follow the science, uh, to follow the data, uh, to follow the facts. And when you follow the science data and the facts, it all points to, if you are fully vaccinated, you should be able to move between the United States and Canada. Be you, you know, uh, somebody that owns property, somebody that wants to be reunited with a loved one, somebody who wants to transact business. Uh, um, this is this is unacceptable. And uh, as I said, highly frustrated. My frustration is really giving voice to the frustration of people that have been kept from their cottages that they own in Canada, from loved ones that they, you know, have been separated from. It, it, there's no explanation for it. But, you know, I have two obligations here. One is to be honest to my constituents and with my constituents, and second, to keep trying. So, you know, virtually every day we're trying to find a pressure point uh, from which to, you know, move the Biden administration. Senator Schumer has joined this call. Uh, over 70 members of Congress, both Republican and Democrat, have joined this call. I mean, you know, think about this for a moment, just in a, in a, in a micro level. 
youth Canadians who initially had a vaccination issue relative to uh, vaccines that were not available, owing to you know, decades-old policy of strict price controls on pharmaceuticals and short duration for uh, drug patents, uh, Canada doesn't make vaccines. So they were dependent on external influences to get them vaccines. We pushed the Biden administration to share a million uh, Moderna uh, vaccines uh, with our Canadian friends. Uh, additionally, you know we are we have a uh, we have a, a a supply of vaccines in Western New York that exceeds the demand. So a lot of these vaccines has, has have to be discarded, uh, discarded as medical waste. Uh, when we should be able to allow Canadians to drive over the Peace Bridge, come into Buffalo, get vaccinated, and go back. I mean, none of this makes any sense, and the administration could not be uh, worse organized in this thing. You know, whether it's the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, they just nobody knows what's going on. You know, you talk to these individuals, they say the right thing, they're trying. You know, there's a head of the task force in the White House. It's just all nonsense, and it, it's not good, as you know. Uh, nearly two billion dollars of economic activity between the United States and Canada every single day. Uh, you have a life quality issue, not only of Americans owning cottages along the Canadian shores of Lake Erie, but you know Canadians that own condominiums and townhouses in a ski resort area, which is now uh, all season. Uh, attraction in Ellicottville, New York. I mean, just none of this makes any sense. We really do share your frustration, Congressman, and we've been we've been banging on the White House and Homeland Security um, for more than a year, actually, to explain um, if you're directed by policymakers like Congress to figure out how to validate a COVID negative test or a vaccine. How, how would you do that? And you know, Canada seems to have a way to do it. Do, do you think, do, do you get the sense that Homeland Security is sort of watching this Canadian reopening and figuring out, letting them work out the kinks? And then I guess our next opportunity um, or our next deadline, August, August 21, right? Yep, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Well, first of all, the, the opening of the Canadian border to fully vaccinated Americans is, is, is very late. That should have occurred in the earlier part of the summer so as to recapture some of that economic activity that has now been lost. Uh, and, you know, that was a time when, you know, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, United States, largest public health agency in the world, more resources than anybody else. Uh, before the Delta variant, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was very clear relative to COVID by, uh, guidance they said if you were fully vaccinated, you can resume pre-pandemic activity without wearing a face mask, without social distancing. Now, the Delta variant, it's the same virus, it's more contagious. Now, just, you know, if you're fully vaccinated, you have to, you should wear a mask so that you can't give or get COVID in addition to having strong potency against serious illness, hospitalization, or death. You know, that's what we were told. You know, the vaccines would be the inflection point. So I think that the testing is redundant. You should be able to certify 
that you are fully vaccinated. And if so, that you will also wear a mask until this Delta variant issue is worked out and just be smart about it. I mean, people are, you know, there's a reason we study the humanities. (laughs) (laughs) Human nature is very important and it hasn't changed in, you know, uh, 2000 years. That's why Shakespeare is still relevant today. You know, it's all about the same human nature, circumstance and context change. So, you know, I just think that they that the, the Biden administration has not given enough credit to the American people who have done the right thing by the, by, by, you know, their families, by their friends, by their neighbors, immediate and by national. And that is get vaccinated. And until we figure the Delta variant thing out, wear a mask. You do that, you can cross the border. So, you know, the testing thing is 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 really redundant. Uh, Congressman, I, I want to underscore something for some of our listeners who don't maybe follow the, the labels. Your, your criticism of the Biden administration today, and of course you were very critical of the Trump administration beforehand, but, but criticizing the Biden administration, you're a Democrat, you're in the same party, and you're holding him to account, or holding the administration to account. I, I think that speaks to the way this transcends partisanship. Do you find that Republicans and Democrats in Congress are at least agreeing on the importance of, of, of the border and, and getting it back open? Yeah, I think some people are probably doing the right thing for the wrong reasons because it gives them an opportunity to take a shot at an administration if they're sure. a different party. Uh, but, you know, some people, uh, you know, there are colleagues of mine who are on the other border caucus who are Republican who are very thoughtful about this issue. And, uh, you know, Bill Huizinga is one. You know, he's from the Detroit area. He's, you know, Big Crossing is the is the ambassador bridge, uh, seemed to be the Gordy Howe bridge between Windsor, Ontario and, and, and Detroit. Uh, you know, we're speaking with one voice. So I think this is about a minister, an administration, uh, the Biden administration in this case, that raised an expectation. I didn't say on January 22nd that I'm directing three cabinet secretaries to you know, explore the opening of the border, but they did. And when you do that, you raise an expectation of some kind of response. Now, now going back to human nature, people are reasonable. If there is a valid public health concern or reason why the border can't be open, well, you need to communicate that in a clear, understandable way. They have not done that. So this is just frustration after frustration. Now I've heard from people in the administration that, you know, maybe this has something to do with the southern border. You can't open one without the other. Well, that's nonsense. The, situ- the, re- the reason the Northern Border Caucus was created was in part to keep resources uh, from being diverted from the northern border to the southern border. The northern border is the longest continuous border between two countries. There are 120 land ports of entry each of those communities, regardless of size, are profoundly influenced by the other. Uh, U.S., Canadian, Canadian, U.S. You know, we have always been friends. I love Canada. I love Canadians. You know, but for the War of 1812 and the Finian invasion of 1866, you know, we, we have been friends and allies and, and partners, and our economies are highly, highly dependent, particularly when you look at complex manufacturing. Uh, as, as, as you know, uh, you, you know, a, 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 a pre-product 
travels along the border five, six, seven times before it is formally a product. <laughs> and therefore, we are tied at the hip. So opening that border, you know, economically, but also in terms of uh, life quality is critically important. And, and think about this, you know, the NHL, National Hockey League, it gets an exception based on what? Science? No, it was an arbitrary decision based on the playoff schedule from the National Hockey League. Yeah. Uh, the, the Toronto Blue Jays played in Buffalo. People love having the Toronto Blue Jays in Buffalo. Guess what? They got an exemption to go back and play in Toronto because, you know, people in Toronto miss their team. But those are arbitrary decisions. They're not based on science or fact. And I just, you know, the, 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 the frustration that I'm voicing on behalf of my people is that, you know, we were we were following the science and, and we have been and when the science pointed directly to an opening, uh, there's no opening. And not only is there no opening, there's no explanation as to, to why there's not an opening. And in the end, there's only two people who could have made that decision. One is the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and they have their own politics, you know, national versus provincial. Uh, and the other is the President of the United States. And, uh, and this administration has failed uh, the people of the border communities uh, relative to uh, A, not opening, and B, providing a compelling reason as to why the border is not open. Can, can I pick up on that, Congressman, because it's something you said a couple times about human nature and, and so on that really sticks with me. How do you think this crisis uh, of dealing not only with COVID, but also with the border, reflects on the state of our democracy? I, I feel as though what you're doing is what you should be doing, speaking on behalf of people, um, you know, in your district who are frustrated. We spoke with Devin Weber uh, right before uh, from the Let Us Reunite Coalition right before speaking with you. And, you know, Devin's quite frustrated and she has a whole coalition of people. I know you know them who've been really looking for someone to listen to them. Is our democracy functioning the way it should or do, do we should we take some uh, of this? I think under the previous administration here in the United States, the U.S.-Canadian relationship took a hit. It just did, uh, owing to nothing that makes any sense. I think a personality conflict between the two leaders. Uh, that said, the Biden administration comes in, raises again an expectation. On, on, on the second day of the Biden administration, the first world leader that President Biden called was Justin Trudeau. Why? Because the relationship took a hit over the previous administration. Everybody knows that. Uh, and, you know, there was a, a, an optimism that there would be a, a constructive engagement between the two governments toward, you know, a border opening or at least a vision for a border opening. You know, we don't we didn't have that. And that's been going on for a long time. So, yeah, government has to work when when democracies find themselves in troubled times. It's because those democracies are failing to deliver on behalf of the reason, on behalf of of, uh, of the people that have placed their confidence in the democracy. If the democracy isn't working, then people lose their confidence in that system of government. Thanks, Congressman. I just have one last question, uh, and then and then we'll we'll let you go. And we're so grateful to you for your candor and your leadership, and and the and and. You, how direct you are. Um, I guess just sticking with this theme on on vaccinations and people crossing borders and everything, 
I wonder how you react to the constituency out there in the United States that is, um, I don't know if they're resisting getting vaccinated so much as they're resisting being required to prove that they're vaccinated, right? There's a whole, I'm getting a lot of, or I'm getting some, you know, pushback on social media. So how do you, how how do you sort of think about those, that, that kind of resistance as being, you know, quote unquote, un-American to what we we see today? I think the Biden administration is going to require people in the military to be vaccinated. And I'm sure there will be backlash among certain constituencies about that. So same applies on prove you're vaccinated to be able to cross the border. What do you think about that kind of resistance? Well, I think in some cases it's reasonable. Uh, As you know, there's been a lot of conflicting information coming at people. The truth is the messenger RNA technology, which is used in the Pfizer, the Moderna vaccine and others, is the most incredible, remarkable biomedical advancement in the past 100 years. Those vaccines are 90 to 95% effective. When researchers went into that, they had hoped to achieve 60% efficacy. So I think the messenger RNA is the stuff that tells a cell to make a protein, which is the active ingredient in the vaccine. The only way a virus can hurt you or me is if it can penetrate a cell. The vaccine triggers an immune response that neutralizes or kills the virus so that it can't enter the cell. No entry, no disease, no harm. I, I just think there's been too much you know, convoluted information about the vaccine. There's one. Number two, these vaccines, and I'm just going to use the the Moderna and the Pfizer because they're developed with this messenger RNA, have been rigorously tested uh, in clinical trials for both safety and efficacy. Now, one of the big problems is they've all been approved for emergency use. Well, approve them generally by the FDA and you may remove some resistance that currently exists by people, and I've heard it. Well, you know, these were approved under emergency situation. They're not approved by the FDA. Now, uh, you know, I, I find it ironic that people are deferring to the federal bureaucracy, but I guess when you, know, you have to do with, with, with drug approval, the FDA has credibility. So approve it, approve, do it, you know, do it, do it, do it properly, do it expeditiously, but approve these drugs that have been rigorously tested for safety and efficacy and have been proven in subsequent studies to be very, very effective, approve those for general use by the FDA. And and just, you know, look, I guess the needle thing is a thing with people. I you know, I'm not school medicines, right? But you know, I, I just think that that you just have to counter bad information with good information. But the good information has to be clear and it has to be consistent. Don't talk in scientific terms to people that are not scientists. Because, you know, people, we're all economic actors. When we're confident, we move. When we're not, we don't. And what's happening is you have a significant segment of the American population, 50%, that ain't moving. So figure out a different way to get them to move, to give them the confidence that they need, that these are both safe and effective, and, 
you know, play to their role in keeping their family safe and keeping their parents safe and their grandparents safe and their fellow citizens safe because this is a this virus is not going away. The coronavirus will not be eradicated. So what you have to do as what we have to do as a society is to figure out how to best manage this. And the only thing that we have, the only thing that we have right now that has saved the American economy and has saved, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives over the past several months are vaccines. So find a way, I, look, I, I'm not gonna beat somebody up for, you know, not being vaccinated. I'm more interested in why, why they're resisting. And some of it's irrational and some of it you'll never get people to change their mind about these things. But I still think you can get some of these people and those people that are gettable ought to be gotten because, you know, there's economies here, there's life quality, there's there's just a way of life that I think most people want to get back to. I, you know, I appreciate your clarity um, in, in describing this. I, th- I think the thing that is where we'll get to is when we're talking about crossing borders, what people are going to say is, you know, some people don't want to give, give the information. They might be willing to get vaccinated, but they don't want to have to tell anybody they're vaccinated or prove it. They, they resent government kind of requiring that. And I guess, you know, what I would say to people like that is fine. You don't have to cross the border, but, but the U S government, yeah, the U S government does have to have a mechanism um, to normalize the integrated, you know, life that we lead with Canada. So you're, you know, really appreciate your leadership here, Congressman. I'll just give you the last word. Well, uh, here's what I would say. Uh, You know, on 9-11, which we will commemorate the 20th anniversary of, because of the terrorist attack on the United States, uh, New York City, uh, Washington, D.C., and the Pentagon, in a plane that was likely on its way to either the Capitol or the White House, the American airspace was shut down. 38 passenger planes carrying mostly Americans had to land in a small town in Gander, Newfoundland. And that was 7,000 people collectively. Gander is a population of 10,000 people. And those Americans were greeted by their Canadian neighbors as family and friends, and they took care of them. And that highlights, underscores the unique relationship between the United States and Canada. I, as a kid that grew up in Buffalo, spent more summers on the Canadian shores of Lake Erie at Bay Beach, Ontario, than I did in Buffalo. I played ice hockey uh, in Canada for most of my life. Uh, My point is my situation is not unique to me. It is very common. If you live in a border community, you should be able to realize the benefits of living in that border community, economically, certainly, but also in terms of life quality. Uh, We have two professional sports franchises in Buffalo, the National Football League Buffalo Bills, National Hockey League Buffalo Sabres. 20 to 25% of the ticket buying base, the season ticket buying base, comes from Southern Ontario. 38% of people that use the Buffalo Airport originate out of Ontario. Why is it important? Well, that added customer base gives us the ability of Buffalo to attract low-cost carriers like Southwest and JetBlue Airlines. Uh, 3,000 Canadian kids go to colleges in Buffalo and Western New York. Uh, Canadians spend 
$15 million in healthcare services in Buffalo and Western New York. So we are just, you know, we are deeply integrated, both in terms of our economics and our, our life quality. So, you know, all the, you know, tough talk throughout this, and, and I'm guilty of it as well, is not because we don't like our Canadian neighbors. We love our Canadian neighbors and we love the relationship. And we are just passionate about getting back to that. And I hope that if your podcast does one thing, it pushes the Biden administration a little bit closer to a decision that should have been made months ago. But look, that was then, this is now. Let's move forward and let's open the U.S. Canadian border and get back to you know the great relationship that we share with our Canadian friends. I couldn't have said it better myself, Congressman. Thank you so much for joining us. Really grateful. We're very grateful. And we will... Um, we, we will keep talking to you, and hopefully we'll talk again on a, on a more positive subject. <laughs> the, the U.S. border opening uh, to our <laughs> There'll be a party. Thanks so much. Well, Scotty, that was an amazing interview, and particularly when you put it against our conversation with Devin Weber. This is... This is an issue that may not affect everybody in the United States, but it sure does affect some people in a very direct and very powerful way. And it's great to see people not just being uh, passive, but actually speaking up and talking about why the border matters to them, why the relationship with Canada matters to them. Yeah, you know, I agree it was a, a really important conversation, but I might quibble with you a little bit. I do think that the border the Canada-U.S. border affects everyone in the United States, maybe not physically traversing it, but whether or not the border is open um, affects our largest commercial relationship, $700 billion, and that affects jobs in every single state. It affects a lot of families. So um, the border opening is more than just for people in Buffalo uh, or Vermont or, or right across the border. It is The, the border is relevant, actually, uh, to every to our economy, our whole economy, to our national security, and and to you know, to to our health, to our food supply, you name it. So the borders, I think, relevant. The other thing I would say, Chris, that I uh, thought was really interesting talking to Congressman Brian Higgins was, you know, he raised issues of uh, Canadian healthcare, drug prices, and drug approvals, things like that. I think we should maybe have a podcast in the future where we talk about the differences between the Canadian. Uh, healthcare system in the U.S. and what that really means, because there's more to come on that. And, you know, he also was quite moving talking about 9-11. So I think maybe um, maybe we want to talk talk about the, the legacy of 9-11, maybe talk about Afghanistan. So there's a lot here, Chris, for us to think about and uh, a lot more opportunity for discussion here on Canusa Street. I, I I think you're right, Scotty, and 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 in a way, it's it's what keeps renewing the Canada-U.S. relationship. It's that we go through things together, we suffer together, we have 9/11 together, and now we've had this border closure and COVID together. This ought to bring us closer together, but also should lead us to think about how we can make our relationship work better, because um, we'll have other crises in the future too. That's exactly right. And the last thought I will say, the last tease is Brian Higgins mentioned his colleague from across the aisle, Congressman Bill Heisinga from Detroit. So I think that's our next phone call. We'll see if we can get him on the, on the podcast. Absolutely. Happy to call Michigan anytime. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show. 
and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.